All right, welcome in. It's that time again for First and Ten, the podcast. I'm Matt Hayes on the Saturday Down South Podcast Network. This is our weekly jaunt through the SEC, breaking down all things Big Bad Southeastern Conference. We've got a fantastic show for you today. We're going to talk with my good friend Dennis Dodd at CBSSports.com. His network has covered the SEC for just about as long as I can remember. He knows the SEC as well as anyone. We'll break down numerous thoughts on the league, both this what's going on this weekend as well as some hot subjects and, of course, the hot seat talk among a few of the league's coaches. But before we do that, we've got to do a little housekeeping. I want to talk to you about TicketCity.com. Now, look, we've talked a lot about how these are weekend events, college football. You spend a lot of money. You go there on Friday. You get dinner. You see friends, you get up early Saturday, go for a little jog, get some breakfast, get to the stadium, play a little cornhole, walk in through the tunnel, and you see that Saturday shrine and the lights hitting the stadium, the seats and the grass just perfectly, and you smell that grass, and now the fall, it's fall is here, the leaves are turning, it's just perfect. And you walk through that stadium, and why would you not want to have like the perfect seat you could possibly have? Why would you not want that? So we've been working with Ticket City now for years. They're the experts in college football. Having served over 1.5 million customers, they've been the place to go for SEC tickets for almost 30 years. You're spending money, everyone. Spend it the right way. All right? They're offering $20 off to all Saturday Down South podcast listeners. All you need to do is go to TicketCity.com. Enter the discount code SDS20, that's Sally Delta Sally 20, while checking out to save $20 on your order. 20 bucks, we can all use 20 bucks. So go to TicketCity.com, that's T I C K E T C I T Y.com, TicketCity.com, and get your SEC ducats today. All right, it's my pleasure to welcome in my good pal, Dennis Dodd. Senior writer at CBSSports.com, a guy who not only has covered the SEC as long as anyone, but college football for a long, long time. Dennis knows this league in and out. Dennis, how are you, my friend? Good to speak with you. Matty, I am good. It's crazy halfway through, and it's going to get crazier. All right. You know what? So since we're talking about crazy, let's start right out of the box with a boatload of crazy. Butch Jones, clearly, he's out, right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean it's just it's just a matter of timing now. It's uh, I I figured out today that Friday marks two months until the first early signing day, so it's going to be on the likes of John Curry and some of these other ads wanting to make a change, deciding how soon they want to pull the ripcord because look sooner or later you're going to have to start thinking about the recruiting class and do you want Butch Jones? Being your coach in the final game, I don't even, you know, looked it up. Vanderbilt, I don't know, November 24th, whatever. Um, what mes- message are you sending to recruits? Yeah, you know what else, too, Dennis? I- I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I like to be the guy that aggravates people, okay? So, so you get rid of Butch Jones, all right? You get rid of a guy who clearly is bringing talent to Tennessee, all right? He's got, now he's got working on like a top five class right now, all right? He, yeah. he clearly knows what he's doing as far as procuring talent. Now, 
Yeah. Certainly there are questions about developing that talent, and one goes with the other. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But you get rid of Butch Jones, and I say this all the time with ADs and presidents when you start firing coaches. Who do you go to next? And you better know that that guy you're going to next wants to come coach your team. Right. I mean, so, I mean, I mean we're hearing about we're yeah. hearing about John Gruden. No, he's not. He's not. I mean, he's making too much money. He's happy. Nobody messes with him. I stopped paying attention to the default John Gruden talk about five years ago. I just think it's silly and lazy. He's not coaching in the NFL. He's not coaching in college football. So then what do you do? Who do you go to if you're Tennessee? And who takes that job knowing that That's you go right. into that job and immediately you have to win? Yeah. I, you know, I keep coming back to Dan Mullen, who I know wants to leave Mississippi State. I don't think they want him to leave Mississippi State, but there's obviously a better chance to win in the SEC at Tennessee in the easier division. Um, you know, he'll bring a little excitement there. I just think, and I've said this over and over, I think Tennessee overvalues itself. You know, they haven't won anything in 20 years. They're in a state that doesn't produce many players. You tell me, fifth best program in the SEC? Is that being too you know too high? They are who they are, and anybody who goes there and thinks they're going to recruit for SEC titles right away, it's just, it's just not going to happen. The, the SEC is almost past Tennessee by. You know, in, in any given year, Auburn can win it. Can win it this year? Probably not. Alabama is the cement ceiling. Uh, Georgia is not is righted itself. Florida will right itself. Um, where does that leave Tennessee? So, so you don't. So then you don't. You don't buy the idea that Tennessee is part of that at any given year. Now, again, this is either pre-Nick or post-Nick. Yeah. Because I mean, let's not. We can't. We can't even start this conversation without without acknowledging the, the red elephant in the room. All right. The reality right. is, there's a group of teams in the SEC that you would think on any given year, when there's not a guy named Nick Saban coaching at Alabama, could win the championship. And you and, and you you're under the assumption that that group includes Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Florida, and Georgia. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you would not put Tennessee in there then? Not right now. Um, they've won, what did they want? Nine twice under Butch. They haven't won the right nine. You have to play Alabama every year. So that concrete ceiling exists for you in the other division. Um, I, I think they've on the verge of being lapped by Georgia with Kirby getting started there. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't just because they haven't. Um, it's 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 slipping away at Tennessee, and I, I I don't even know where they go. You're asking me about candidates. You know, it's not going to be Chip Kelly. Let's get that out of the way right now. He's not going to go into that mess. And you know, look look at the way they treated Butch, and some of that, a lot of that, is Butch bringing it upon himself. But Chip's going to go to a place where he can win right away. I'm not sure he can win right away at Tennessee. Well, I, I'm frankly, Dennis, I'm not sure any university can hire Chip Kelly considering what's going on with college basketball and the reality that Chip I agree. T- spent $25,000 to a street agent in Houston to steer players to Oregon. I, I'm not sure you can do that right now, but that's another story for another time. So so yeah. let's a, a real quick a real quick sidebar to this Tennessee-Alabama game to the third Sunday, Saturday in October. Yeah. I thought it was very interesting that Nick at his press conference this week, I mean – Here's what it is, Dennis. How good must life be there in Tuscaloosa right now when Nick has to, like, manufacture things to get his team fired up? So now, so right. now Nick was talking earlier this week that 
not only was the mean media feeding his team rat poison, but at the same time, all right, at the same time, he could be motivating Tennessee because Tennessee now is a team that's thinking they're not any good. They can't win yeah. this game. So, so now now Nick is literally in a pretzel now with his whole rat poison thing, which I think is great. <laughs> and I love Nick. And I everybody always asks me, what do you think of Nick? And I say, I think he's fantastic, man. But I think yeah. how good must it be right there right now where he's manufacturing ways to keep his uber-talented team focused? He's, he's, they're so far head and shoulders above everybody else that that's what it's come to. He even made a vague a big reference to Butch's job security too, I think this week where he said something like, you know, we can't get caught up in that. They're a good team, even though they have distractions or something. It, 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 he is manufacturing stuff. And he's always, I thought, talked to his team from the podium every week at some point in that half hour. Cause it's just, it's one, it's exactly a half hour every week, twice a week. And, but now you're right. He's just like, they're so far ahead. What, what's the line this week? 34? I don't even know. Whatever the line 34. 34. 34. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we're in, – in, in Tennessee is, is a – could jump up at any at any minute and win the SEC. I don't think so. Not anytime <laughs> soon. But that's another – we already discussed that. But you're, you're right. He's manufacturing stuff. And, that's, and by the way, the question is going to come up because now halfway through we're talking about two teams from the SEC getting in or two teams from the Big Ten. Somebody's going to ask him again, you know, in late November, is it okay to lose this game? And he's probably going to have kids. You know, we saw what happened <laughs> last year. We saw what happened last year, which was a va- it was an absolutely valid question because it's a hole in the playoff, uh, the whole playoff thing. That, that, that it this absolutely is. Four teams. It's a hole in the in the, in the in the whole playoffs, and he'll be after, and, and, and they'll be so out, far out in front. He'll have kids. So, <laughs> so I, I wanted to ask you about that two two teams from the SC, but we're gonna we're gonna circle back to that. All right, let let's all stick right. now on, on. We're still talking about Alabama. I want to shift a little bit to LSU because LSU and Alabama is coming in two weeks. All right, I had Danny Etling on the podcast last week, and he you know he said those two team meetings kind of got everybody situated where, look, you do this, I'll do this, we'll move forward. And, and I, I think, I think the, you have to believe him because you look at what's happened. In the last two weeks, they've won two big games. Whether you think the Florida game's a big game, you know, Auburn game's yeah. clearly a big game. The two games they probably would have won or would have lost three weeks earlier. So, so yeah. now my point with this now is this week he's going back to Ole Miss. There's all these stories about uh, yeah. Ed's going back to Ole Miss where he was horrible and the program was, you know, the program tanked. My point is this. Who cares about all that crap? The reality is they got to go there and win that game because now they've felt a little bit, a little taste of what it's like to have some success. Can they now deal with that success and not overlook Ole Miss with Alabama waiting in the wings in two weeks? My brain hurts when I think about Ed Orgeron and LSU, and I'll tell you why. They lost to a team, Troy, at home that lost last Wednesday at home to South Alabama by 11 points. They've beaten Florida, and then they win last week. Uh, and, and we've got to talk about LSU maybe going to a New Year's Six Bowl. <laughs> so there's no question. I mean, seriously, at 9-3, and three, I – in the SEC, they could grab one of those spots. But well, I mean, here, no here's point. my whole thing with them: is they, you know, they lost ten nothing Alabama last year. That was yeah. a close yeah. game. Yeah. That's so true. I mean, are, are they yeah. that far away right now from that last season, that last game? 
Well, the, ta- the, the we keep saying this, but the talent is there. Um, some some year or another, LSU is going to get a quarterback, and they're going to be really dangerous. But that's another discussion for another time. You saw, look, what, what, however it happened last week, you saw Ed Ogeron and his staff out coach Gus Malzahn. And you can start making the jokes about, you know, who hasn't with Gus Malzahn because he doesn't adjust. Traditionally, he doesn't adjust at halftime very well. But, but it happened, and they won the game. They beat a top-10 team. In the same year, they lost at home to Troy. So, yeah, no, I, that's a great point in bringing that up to whatever it is, two or three weeks from now with LSU going to Alabama, it's, it's their last, I guess, you know, tough game until, until Auburn. It has to be obviously. So no, I agree with you. I mean, I mean, that's, I, I think when, when I look at that game, okay, that, that has become the marquee game clearly it, it, in the SEC. Okay. And, and yeah. my thought is when I look at that game, you know, that, that was a team last year that was playing at home. Um, they had all the momentum with them. They have no had no quarterback. I mean, Danny Etling was very limited last year. I think he's grown a little bit this year. I think he's more comfortable throwing intermediate and deep and deep throws right now. And that and Matt Cannon has done a terrific job there. So so my point yeah. is, and we've said they have the talent. I don't think they have Alabama talent, but do they have yeah. the talent to go into Tuscaloosa and, and scare the hell out of Alabama, make it a fourth quarter game, and then when once the fourth quarter rolls around, who knows what happens? I mean, yeah, I think they yeah, do. I, 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 I do. I think they do. I, they, they need to get Darius Geis going again, and I think they can. And you're absolutely right about Danny Etling. I, I was there the, the Monday after the Troy game, and it was like the media were like looking around, literally waiting for an announcement. Now, they weren't going to fire a coach five, five games into a five-year contract, but that's the kind of move that had happened in, in there. The players made this reference to a team meeting. I, I hear a team meeting, and I completely tune out. Now, you're telling me, you know, after two of them, that's been significant. I don't doubt that at all. But it, it's it's just it's just been amazing that they come from that to the point where we're discussing, yeah, can they scare the you-know-what out of Alabama? Absolutely is the answer. Dennis, they lost by, like, 12,000 points to Mississippi State. I mean, are you kidding me? Right. That game was I horrendous. I know, and Mississippi State is not very good. We've come to find out. It's it's very um, it's very the entire thing at LSU this season is very perplexing. I, I mean, I get it's a transition year, and I get that Ed's kind of learning on the job, and that's fine. I get yeah. that. Let's see what happens now this week. This week to me is going to be a big tell. Do they let down, or do they go in there and take care of business and spank Ole Miss, and then get ready for Alabama? All right. So I'll, I'll, let's move on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something here, and I want to get just your first gut response. I mean, gut response, okay? All right. Jim, yeah. Jim McElwain. I'm going to talk about this later in the podcast. I'm going to break it down, but I'm going to get your thoughts on it. Jim McElwain, after 33 games of Florida, is 22-11, and 11, okay? Uh-huh. Will Muschamp, after 33 games of Florida, was 22-11. and 11. Oh, you want me to react to that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See? Oh. See, that stopped you dead in your tracks. Your yeah, gut response is? <laughs> My gut response is that Jim McElwain is resentful. <laughs> he still doesn't think he's been given proper credit for winning those two SEC titles. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if things fall different or fall in the second half that he's somewhere else next year. Like, if something good comes along, just, you know, screw this. Let's, let's get out of here. I don't, I don't know what these people want. 
And I know what they want. They that's an offensive legacy left by Urban and Spurrier, and and they and they want to. They Dennis, want to they want touchdowns. <laughs> they want touchdowns, right? Right. They want points. How about that? Is that too much to ask? You're in the state of Florida, the best state for skill players, the best state, you know, for for Division right. One talent. They want points, and they haven't had it now for nine, eight years. Yeah, you know who is doing it down the road is Scott Frost. You know, do, does I don't think Florida pulls a ripcord, but you know, do they? I don't think they take a coach who's been a head coach for two years at Florida, but isn't that? What Jim McElwain had been at Colorado State, head coach for two years. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe, I mean, maybe, they, maybe they pull the ripcord. I'm with you on the idea that that he might just say screw it. Um, I don't think they're going to. Yeah. I think he could lose out, and they're not going to fire him. I mean, yeah, he's got twelve I, I million dollars. He's got a twelve million dollar buyout. That's not going to happen. But right, but right. I could definitely see the screw it factor. I could definitely see him thinking, okay, Oregon State's open. That's a nice little yeah. spot. I can get. I can make some money. I can do some good things there. I could even see. You know, if, if Bill Moose decides he wants to hire Mike Leach in Nebraska, and I know Leach said today that he's not going yeah. there, but believe me, things change. And, and I could definitely yeah. see McElwain going to Washington State. So I'm with you yeah. there. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't completely disregard that at all if I'm anybody at this point. Yeah, think, think, it's good to think about the West because he's a West – he's not a West Coast guy per se, but he has a lot of roots out there. And it's, it's, I mean, is he a big enough name for UCLA? I don't know. Um you know, they their problem is they can't stop anybody. So maybe that's a good fit. Right, and if, if you can't stop anybody and you can't score points, it's not, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> then you've got problems. All right, last thing. Yeah. I want to I move to Kevin Sumlin. And, and I'm making the argument uh, this week in my first and ten column at SaturdayDownSouth.com that one player, and we've heard all along that in college football, one player does not make a difference. Only in college basketball does one player make a difference. But you know what? I think one player might actually make a difference in, in someone keeping his job or getting fired. Because I think, number one, mm-hmm. Kellen Mond has played that well. And, yeah. and number two, I think he gives them he, – he, Kellen Mond gives the Texas A&M deep pockets and heavy hitters the idea that, wait a second, this kid's very talented. He's got a really good OC with him right now in the normal zone who has kind of meshed his offense and Kevin Sullivan's offense. They've got a little thing going here. I, I, I've been saying all along that I think if they can beat either LSU or Auburn – and went out against Mississippi State, New Mexico, and Ole Miss. I think he keeps his job. I really do. Where at, at nine and three? Yeah, at nine and three. Yeah, that, yeah. I was I was just looking at that before we got on because I was saying, how do I make a case for them winning the rest of their games? Well, they can. At, at LSU is going to be tough, um, but they traditionally play LSU pretty tough. Yeah, I right. I was told before the season by a former staff member that he had to win ten. Now again, like you just said, things change. This is this this has all the he's overachieved, I guess, in the first half, and this has all the looks of you know being a nine-win season or an eight-win season. Well, really, A and M looks bad in firing him after four straight eight-win seasons. I mean, what do you want? Um, well, it's, it's, it's like it's like Bolini, same thing. It is, and it's the Nick Saban effect in the West again. You know, getting you run out of there. So I yeah at nine and three, and they lose. Who do they lose to? LSU. You're I mean, well, my my whole idea is they got to beat LSU or Auburn. Have to have to beat one of those two. Yeah. I think if they no, I, I think they no again they, they beat I think they beat Auburn at home. Yes, because they're in 
after after what I saw Saturday, they're in mental free fall. They got to prove to me that they can rebound for a game like that. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, they they want to fire him so bad. I mean, I don't have to tell anybody that it's all public. Um, and I wrote last week that the you know they're going to make a run at Jeff, James Franklin if that happens. Um, they're going to open a purse springs for the absolute best guy they can identify. They don't want him to go nine and three. I think it'd be an embarrassment for college football if they, you know, if they fired him after nine and three. But I think they might. And that, you know, that's it. that's what I was going to hit to next. The story you wrote is about a couple yeah. weeks ago, right? About how how yeah last week there, yeah. There, yeah last week there there are people within the Texas A and M you know hierarchy, deep pockets, however you want to say it. They yeah. want James Franklin, and, and that's a. You know, here's the thing. I think James is very happy at Penn State. I, I know James, and I've talked to him this season about it a couple times. He yeah. is pissed off that they did not get in the playoff last year. That's number one. And number two, yeah. he feels like Penn State is the second citizen right now in the Big Ten, and that should be the furthest thing from reality right now in the Big Ten. But he feels that way. I know he does. I mean, we, uh, you know, at media days, you and I were at media days together, and Penn State's yeah. in this little corner behind the Big yeah. Ten network, you know, tent or whatever you call it and the, the, all you hear is the Big Ten Network people screaming and the look on James face was are you kidding me what is this yeah and, and yeah. I think he's I think he could be lured out of there for for, for the right situation he, he did react to my story which, which he had to on Twitter I think the nature of the story requires him to react in some sort of way because of recruiting he said uh, don't don't believe all the drama you hear uh, number 1 Pennsylvania native number 2 love the big 10 you know stuff like that which is the perfect way to handle it you know cuz i'm sure people were all all that story said was if someone is gone first of all that has to happen right there are people at Penn State that are preparing for Texas A&M to make a run at him doesn't mean they'll get him you know what it tells me it it tells me that Texas A&M is way ahead of anything Nebraska even thought about because they kind of identified their guy. You know, doesn't yeah. mean they're going to get him. It, it's it's that boy. This is the guy we want because he's done it at Vanderbilt. He's done it at Penn State, and there, there's no question. I think they'd throw seven million a year at him. And so Pennsylvania native, Big Ten, all that other stuff. He'd have to seriously stop and take pause if that happened, if they threw $7 million at him. But, yeah, I, I agree with all that stuff. I, I think Penn State is kind of a second-class citizen. I I was there last week, and I asked him about the playoff thing, and, and he, he gave the company line, oh, no, we, you know, we just concentrate on the road bowl. But I'll tell you what. And then you turn your so, then you return your quarter off, and he starts, you know, then he gets into nah, it. Yeah, he, he did get in that situation. But here, here, here's why they didn't deserve to go. 49 to 10 to Michigan, um, yeah. you know, lose to Pittsburgh. So, yeah, and, and, and I understand, and, and it may happen again this year, you know, we're talking about two teams from one conference getting in, um, and that, that might happen again in some conference. But, yeah, I, I get why he feels that way. There was, there was no pushback that I, except maybe the fans from Penn State about missing out, and that quickly became a non-story, but I thought it should have been a bigger one. You're right. Right. All right, so let's now segue into what you just mentioned a little bit earlier, the two teams from one conference get into the playoff. Uh, I've been saying this entire year that this, this season sets up for the SEC. I initially thought it, would, it could be Alabama and Auburn. Now I really believe it could be Georgia and Alabama. If Georgia wins out at the end of the regular season, they're 12-0 going to that SEC championship game. 
they they've got wins against you know Auburn and, and LSU and not LSU they got you yeah. know wins against Auburn and Florida and they've got a win against Georgia Tech and they've got a win at Notre Dame. You look at their resume and they go in that game against Alabama and let's say they lose that game. It's another one of those classics like from 2012, I guess is yeah. what it was. It's a 27-24 yeah. game. Are are you really going to tell cuz they'll be one and two. If they're both unbeaten, they will be number 1 and number 2 in the poll. So are you really going to tell me a 3-point loss to the number 1 team is going to drop them out of the 4? When when the college football playoff opened the door last year by not by letting a team in that didn't even win its own division. Yeah, I I just, right, and I just I just wrote this for the site cuz I have it. The the scenario, the best scenario for two in the SEC is number 1 Alabama losing the champ game to an unbeaten Georgia, which would have to be number 2 at that point in that scenario here's the question you have to ask yourself if if uh if alabama loses which three one loss conference champions would look better than alabama at that point you know what i mean right right or right? even georgia if you if you flip those or teams even, or even, even georgia or even georgia yeah or even yeah. Georgia. are you going to drop that team down to number five um i i don't think so and then there's a there's a way in the big 10 too if if ohio state wins out and beats Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game, oddly enough, that sort of leaves Penn State in to come in the back door with a better-looking uh, resume than Wisconsin at 12-1. and one. Wisconsin hasn't played anybody, hasn't beaten anybody, um, and, and would have lost their last game before the committee decides things to, uh, to Ohio State. Uh, at that point, the Badgers would have beaten only one ranked team, maybe, and that would be Michigan on November 18th. So, uh, yeah, Big Ten and SEC. I could see it happen. Not not together, but maybe with one. Yeah, you know what this tells me too. I I just love I love how we've gone from year one of the college football playoff when conference championships meant everything, where they were doing everything yeah. they could to keep the Big Twelve out because neither one of those two teams yeah. won a conference champion. Yeah, you know, won a conference championship even though they had a better resume than Ohio State, and then magically Ohio State gets in because they scored. 18,000 points in the, in the Big 12 championship game. And now we're yeah. at the point where, hey, anybody can get in. Yeah, we're going to take the best four teams, yeah. no matter what. Yeah, they've, are, they've already done it, um, like we just said, with, with Ohio State last year. And, and it, uh, right now, it looks like it's likely to happen uh, maybe again. Yeah, but I, I will tell you, the only thing that scares me is, is 31 nothing. You know, when, when Ohio State got beat 31 nothing, I think – I think then they started, you know, there's going to be criticism for allowing oh, yeah. Ohio State in, and clearly there was, and there's really no yeah. response to that. The, no, the only response to that is eye test. Right. We think they were one of the best four. Whereas a response yeah. for the championship could have been, hey, they're, they're conference champions. So I think that's the only thing that could, could prevent two from one conference coming in. Dennis, yeah. it's been a pleasure, man. I, I cannot tell you how uh, thankful I am to have you on. Um, let's do it again soon, man. I'd love to, man. Thanks so much. Thanks, Dennis. All right, that's Dennis Dodd, senior writer at CBSSports.com, one of the true good dudes in our profession. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, great guy. Great guy. Dennis is one of my uh, traveling buddies from years past. We used to come back from games that started at 8 and ended at 12, and we'd be out of the locker room at 1 and finish riding at 2, 2.30, and we'd be driving home from Tuscaloosa to Birmingham or from Oregon to Portland and screaming at each other to keep each other awake so we don't crash and die on it, some barren interstate or barren state road somewhere in some godforsaken place. Dennis, truly one of the good dudes. Go to CBSSports.com and read his stuff. All right, let's reset now. 
move over to the SEC East and talk about the Florida Gators, a program that's uh, in a little bit of turmoil right now, a little bit of the great unknown right now in Gainesville, in the middle of year three under Jim McElwain. And if you think it's bad now, Florida fans, you think you're upset with the idea of being three and three for the first time since 1986 or that we're two weeks into October and already yet another year has passed an idea of returning to the nation's elite, it's now come and gone. If you think that's all bad, it's about to get a whole lot worse as this season unfolds. Because that would be Will Muschamp driving along with a top down in his car in the passing lane, his South Carolina program in tow, and roaring right by his former team in the SEC East. When South Carolina beats Florida later this year in Columbia, It will be complete. It will be complete. And again, let me me first say this. We cannot overlook what Jim McElwain has done in Gainesville. And Dennis and I talked about this as well. He feels a little, you know, underappreciated. And I get that, all right? Back-to-back East Division titles. You know, he said last year, near the end of the season, I was brought here to win the East, and we've done it two years in a row. And I'll give him that, granted. But... That's not what Florida fans... Florida fans don't want an East title. Florida fans want an SEC title. Florida fans realize there's no better state in the United States for Division I talent than Florida. There's no reason why Florida has gone eight years without a quarterback. There's no reason why Florida has gone eight years without an offense. It's coaching. So while I'll give McElwain credit for winning the East back-to-back seasons and getting absolutely throttled by Alabama both years in the championship game. And that's something Muschamp never did, okay? And I'll give McElwain credit for being the driving force behind significant facilities changes at Florida that just desperately needed. And now they're there. I mean, you're only as good as your, as your current season. And right now, they're in a lot of trouble right now, Florida. And there are numerous reasons why they have an offensive line that lacks physicality, struggles to pass protect. They haven't recruited well on the defensive side of the ball, which has led to just a decent defense this year, a back seven that can't cover, a back seven that can't tackle, linebackers that are not SEC elite linebackers. Those first two East Division championships for McWayne were built on the backbone of that defense, those players that were recruited by Muschamp and developed by Muschamp. 11 of those guys in the last two years, went to the NFL, were NFL draft picks, 11. It certainly hasn't been the offense, and that's the biggest issue right now with Jim McElwain of Florida, the inability to develop a quarterback. That's the problem. Meanwhile, you got Will Muschamp, who also had his own issues with offense at Florida, but he's got a quarterback now at South Carolina. He's got one of the rising stars in the SEC and Jake Bentley. He's got a team that's figuring it out, even though even though last week at Tennessee played without three offensive starters on the line. Three guys on the offensive line were missing. Didn't have their best playmaker. Haven't had him for four games now, Debo Samuel. They're still winning. They're five and two now. To me, if you're a Florida fan and you're upset about three and three and you're upset about where your program is headed, you better get a lot more upset about what's going on at South Carolina. Think about this. Florida will be favored twice more this year against Missouri and UAB. And frankly, 
UAB's playing really well right now, okay? <laughs> that would not shock me in the least if UAB goes into Gainesville and wins that game, which is amazing considering that program was left for dead two years ago. South Carolina, pretty much on pace to win eight games this year. I, I mean, I'd be shocked if they didn't win eight games, all right? Look, McIlwain, like I said with, with Dennis Dodd, McIlwain is not going to get fired. He could lo- they could lose out and finish 3-8, and eight, and he is not going to get fired, right? The $12 million bite is way too steep for a university that's already investing over a million dollars in facilities upgrades. It's not going to happen, all right? But at some point, you have to recognize this and come to grips with this. Muschamp was fired because his staff couldn't develop a quarterback, couldn't score points, and couldn't play an entertaining brand of football. So what exactly has changed in three years under McElwain? Other than, of course, the two East titles that were built on the backbone of Muschamp's recruits, defensive recruits that he developed for that program. What has changed, okay? Now, think about this. And this is where it's really going to start to hit you, right in the gut, a kick in the gut. In three seasons, okay, in Gainesville, McElwain's offenses, yards per game, and scoring average have all been below Muschamp's final season in Gainesville. All of them. So you can scream and yell about Muschamp and about the 4-8 and eight season and how much he hurt the program. There's no difference right now in this program where they are, where they were with Muschamp, where they are now with McIlwain. In fact, you could actually make that argument that year two at Florida, they win 11 games. Muschamp still cleaning up that mess that was left behind by Meyer. They take the natural dip in year three. Not natural to four wins, but a dip. The natural dip probably would have been seven or eight wins, okay? They go to four and eight. Immediately, he's on the hot seat. The next, week, the next year, they're six and six, and he's out. You keep him there in Gainesville, and he's got Will Greer, and he's got that defense. Who knows what happens? Now, again, Will Greer clearly could have done the same knucklehead thing. Could have taken an NCAA banned substance, and that's it. But it's interesting to think of what could have been if he just stayed one more year with that guy. I mean, is it a stretch? Maybe. Maybe. But how much of a stretch different would it be than what they've got right now in Gainesville? I mean, when you really look at it, Jim McElwain came into Gainesville and talked about how his dog Clarabelle could play quarterback. He could get his dog ready to play quarterback. That will come back to be his undoing when it's all said and done. If it doesn't work out for Jim McElwain and Gainesville, that quote will be the thing that eventually tears it all down because Florida's quarterback situation is absolutely pathetic. There's no other way to explain it. And these are McElwain's quarterback recruits now, okay? These are the guys that he chose over Will Greer. And we got into this last, last week. We talked about how Greer wanted to stay, and McElwain said, you know what, maybe it's best if both parties move along. And McElwain chose Luke Del Rio in the freshman. He was, quarter, he was recruiting by the name of Felipe Franks instead of Will Greer. And we all know what Will Greer is doing right now. And like it or not, Florida fans, we all know what Felipe Franks is doing right now too. You've got a kid who's been in the system for two years, can't get past his first progressions, routinely misses open receivers, and looks scared out there at times. That's not his fault, okay? I always go back to what Steve Spurrier once told me about it 
five-star recruit by the name of Bobby Sablehouse when he said, if he's not playing well, it's my fault for putting him in there because he's not ready. So that's coaching, all right? If Franks can't get past his first progression and he routinely misses receivers running wildly open in the secondary, you've got to find a way to help him get through his progressions. You've got to coach him through that. You've got to co- if he can't find open receivers, you've got to make throws easier for him. We talked about this last week. There are no easy throws in that offense right now, except for those quick, you know, those quick outs, the speed, the speed outs, whatever you want to call those, you know, that are more like runs. I can't tell you the last time I saw a Florida quarterback throw a slant, a simple five-step slant. I cannot tell you the last time I've seen that, or a curl, or a dig. There are no easy throws in this offense. You want to make Felipe Franks a better quarterback? Make it easier for him to play the position. And right now, it's like Florida's got this round offensive philosophy that they're trying to jam into this square hole that is Felipe Franks. And it's not working. They're trying to just jam that thing in there. And it doesn't work. And I don't want to hear about how he's young. He's he's not a freshman. He's a redshirt freshman. This is two years now, okay? And there are freshmen all over the SEC, the big, bad SEC, playing well at quarterback. Jalen Hurts, was he any good last year? How about Shea Patterson? Was he any good last year when he went in once Chad Kelly got hurt? Jacob Eason threw 24 touchdown passes last year for Georgia. Jake Fromm, look how well he's playing this year. Jake Bentley was supposed to be in high school last year. Graduated high school early. Got in the second half of the season in South Carolina. They went from 2-4 and four to 6-6. Six and six. He was 4-2 and two in the six games he started. Don't tell me that freshmen cannot play and play with success in this league because I do not buy it. It's coaching. All right? It is coaching. The reason Felipe Franks is not playing well is because it's coaching. He has not been developed. And that's the very reason that Muschamp was fired from Florida. It's just annoying to me when I hear people say, oh, this player's young. He's young. He's not ready. He's not ready to play. He doesn't understand. Make him understand. Coach him to understand. That's what coaching is all about. All right, let's move on to the weekly five, our five picks against the spread. We're not flipping coins here, people. I'm not guessing. This is against the spread. Big week last week, 4-1. and one. Big week. And had I not gone against my better judgment and said, take Tennessee in a point and a half. I mean, what was I even thinking? Of course South Carolina was going to win that game. I'd have been 5-0 last week. 20-15 and 15 for the season. Not bad. Creeping up. Right, uh, 57% right now. We're getting there. I think once you get over 60, it's pretty good. Pretty good. I'm not saying you're going to go out there and, you know, bet money on what I'm giving you, but you can at least listen and take it in and think, all right, maybe I will do what that idiot says. All right, let's start out. Kentucky's getting 10 points at Mississippi State. And to me, Kentucky is this unique story right now in the SEC that I think everybody is just wildly overlooking. The last time Kentucky won nine games in a season was 1984. You know, a feat so spectacular, it has been accomplished all of eight times since 1892. Over 115 years of football or more. Eight times they've won nine games, all right? Now, you can laugh all you want right now about Kentucky, okay? And this team, and my point is this. If they could cover 
receivers. Actually, just put a guy out there on a receiver, which they didn't do against Florida twice. This team could be unbeaten. They could be 6-0 and and three wins away from winning nine games. All right? Now here they are going into Mississippi State. They're getting 10. They're going to need help to win this game straight up. But let's just say they win this game and they go to 6-1. and one. Look at their next three games that could potentially, potentially get them to nine wins, which would be nine wins again for the first time since 1984. And I, and I want to, real quick sidebar here, Rich Brooks won eight games twice in the mid-2000s at Kentucky and was like a conquering hero because he won eight games twice. Mark Stoops, if they can somehow upset Mississippi State this weekend, the next three games at Kentucky are Tennessee at home, and that's a dumpster fire, and Tennessee will have a new coach after this weekend. It's my guess. That's just my guess. They lose by 30 or 40 to Alabama. I think that's going to be it for Butch. And I know I said this last week that they couldn't lose to South Carolina, Butch would still have a job, but I think this is the week. It's like, it's like Kramer in Seinfeld where he's trying to like not talk. Ready right now. This is the week. This is the week it happens if they lose to 30 or 40 by Alabama, okay? So the next three games in Kentucky, after Mississippi State, you get an upset at Mississippi State, you got Tennessee at home. Then you got Ole Miss at home. Then you've got Vandy on the road. We all know what Ole Miss is. Vandy, meanwhile, has lost four straight. Now, you ready for this? By a combined 199 to 73. They've given up. That Vandy defense that we all thought was so good in the last four games has given up 199 points. So if Kentucky can somehow get an upset straight up, go to 6-1, and one, they will be 9-1. 9-1 by early November. And it will be the story of the SEC this year. Stoops will be coach of the year. And unfortunately for Kentucky fans, he will not be there long. Now, long story short, I'm going to give up those 10 points. Nope, you know what? I'm going to make a change right now. Mid-podcast, I'm taking Kentucky in the 10. So we'll take Kentucky in the 10. Next up is Tennessee at Alabama, minus 34. The Tide laying 34. We talked earlier with Dennis Todd about the Tide and Nick and how Nick is now manufacturing ways to get his team motivated. How he's talking about how, you know, how can that rat poison that the media is feeding his Alabama team, it could backfire and actually help Tennessee. It could be a motivating factor for Tennessee. Yeah. Okay. I know this. I know this, Nick, okay? I know Alabama is far and away better than Tennessee at every position on the field. And I know the Tide coaching staff is playing chess while the Tennessee coaching staff is playing shoots and ladders or something even more rudimentary. Yeah, I'm going to lay that 34. In fact, I'm gonna, I might just lay every point spread for the rest of the season against Alabama. After I decided to take that, I think it was 31 in Ole Miss, and that backfired on me. I'm laying points every time with Alabama now. All right, let's move along to Auburn. On the road against Arkansas, a tough spot, I think, right now for Auburn because I think that game really last week, the game last week against LSU, I, I think it emotionally cracked that team. And they're in a tough spot right now. they got to find a way. And again, Arkansas is playing with a backup quarterback. Arkansas looks awful. But, but it's definitely a situation where Auburn can go in there and kind of lollygag around, and, and the next thing you know, it's the fourth quarter, and they need something to win. And 
to me, I, I, th- I think one thing with Auburn, and we talked about this all year about the quarterbacking spot with Auburn and Jared Stidham, and how I've been saying all along, at some point, Auburn's got to spread it out and let Stidham throw like he threw at Baylor. And I think they've done that in some areas over the last three, four games. They kind of got back to that bunch set against LSU. They got up 20 to nothing. He threw a perfect deep ball for a touchdown. They got up 20 to nothing. I thought, you know what? They're going to keep throwing it. They're gonna, he's going to come out. And he's going to keep throwing it. And they got up 20 to nothing and literally shut it down. They shut it down. They called 17. At one point, they called 17 straight run plays on first down. 13 of which came after they were up 20 to nothing. And, and Stidham acknowledged something Sunday that I thought was very telling when he said he's not allowed to audible at the, at the line of scrimmage. The plays come in from, from offensive coordinator Chip Lindsey, or if you think it's still Gus Malzahn, if you're one of those conspiracy theorists at, at Auburn. The play comes in, and Stidham runs the play. And that is so dangerous right now in this age of college football with the way defenses are playing, with the way you can adjust at the line of scrimmage, the pre-snap reads that a quarterback has to have. He's the guy on the field. He sees what's going on. He sees the stunts. He sees what's going on pre-snap out there. And I know you got guy coaches in the skybox, and I know they're looking down, and I know they think they can see more than the, than the quarterback can see. The quarterback also hears out there, okay? You, you cannot allow your quarterback to go to the line of scrimmage and think, I got to run this play. It's not going to work, but I got to run it. And I can tell you right now, the, the, the time after time I've heard coaches tell me when, they're, when, you, when you ask them, what's the most important thing a quarterback can do? Is it arm strength? Uh, is it knowledge of the offense? And, and I'm telling you, 95% of the time, a coach will tell you, I want a guy who will walk to the line of scrimmage. And when he's at the line of scrimmage, he can see this play is not going to work. I got to get us into something else. And, and right now, that doesn't happen right now. We, we, they're so obsessed right now in college, college football with the look at me, you know, where the, where the quarterback gets to the line of scrimmage and then he looks at the little sideline and the sideline says, oh, no, we'll keep it on or we'll change it to this. You got to give the quarterback the ability to say, you know what? I know what's going to happen here. I know what will work. Let's run this. And if something happens in a big play, in a big situation, and it backfires, then maybe you pull back. But you can't allow a quarterback to be in a situation where he's on the field and he knows. He knows the play's not going to work, but you know what? He's been told to run it. That leads to a lack of imagination. It leads to predictability, which, believe me, that's why these defensive coordinators get 700, 800, 900, 1.1 million contracts. Because they watch tape, and they find tendencies, and they realize this is what Auburn does on second and nine. This is what Auburn does on third and four inside their own 30. You'd be shocked at the actual down and distance tendencies that defensive coordinators have on their walls, on their whiteboards, on their play sheets. They know what's going to happen. You put a quarterback in that situation where he can't audible, you're leading to a lack of imagination. It leads to a predictability, and that eventually leads to guess what? That leads to you blowing a 20 nothing lead and losing 27-23 and your quarterback throwing for nine yards in the second half. That's what that leads to. I think Auburn's very talented. I don't think they're using their offensive talent in the right way, specifically Stidham. I think you've got to spread it out, like I've been saying now for five, six weeks. Put the receivers at the number. Let Stidham use that big arm. 
protect him and let him throw the ball. Got to get out of those bunch sets. Now that said, I'm going to lay the 13. I'll give Arkansas the 13. I'm taking Auburn. All right, LSU travels to Ole Miss. LSU's given seven and a half points. And I said this earlier with Dennis. I, I really believe that this game is so important for LSU because this will determine what kind of mentality this team has. They've now rebounded from adversity twice. They won, they won into Gainesville, won a tough game, came home, won a game they were down 20 to nothing. Two games where they were staring adversity directly in the face. And now, how do they deal with success? How do they deal with two big wins that have kind of righted that ship? Everybody's feeling good about LSU football again. Everybody's starting to feel good about Ed Ogeron again. Do you go on the road with a lack of focus and lay an egg against an Ole Miss team that has no business being in the game with you? To me, this game is a big game for LSU. You win here, you rest up for a week, you go to Tuscaloosa. Very, very important right now for LSU to not look past this game and to realize it's just as important, if not more important, than the Florida and Auburn game. All right, so I'm going to lay, again, I'm going to lay those points. I'm going to give Ole Miss that 7.5. I'm, I'm shocked that it's not larger, but someone in Vegas knows something, I can tell you that. All right, the final game of the week. It's really the only other SEC game of the week because Florida and Georgia are off, and they're waiting to play the world's largest cocktail party, which I refuse to call anything else other than the world's largest co- outdoor cocktail party. I don't care what CBS or any of the other politically rec- correct people want me to say. I'm going to say what it is from when I was a student there from when we had a blast there over and over. It's the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. We will get into that next week as well. Last game on the schedule this week, Idaho traveling to Missouri. Missouri's given up 14.5 points. You ever think there'd be a, a moment this season where Missouri would give up 14.5 points? I mean, they're god-awful. Idaho's horrible, okay? Their, their wins... This year against Sacramento State and FCF school, they got blown out by UNLV, blown out by Western Michigan. They did, however, beat South Alabama in overtime. The same South Alabama that beat Troy, the same Troy that beat LSU. Yeah, we're not. Let's just not even go there, okay? I'm gonna lay that 14 and a half. All right. You can have you can have Idaho in the 14 and a half. All right, we're going on real real quick. We'll run over them again. I'm gonna take Kentucky to 10 at Mississippi State. I'm laying Alabama in the 34 against Tennessee in Tuscaloosa. I'm going to lay the 13 with Auburn at Arkansas. I'm not feeling too good about that one, but I'm, that's, I'm, that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going. I'm going to lay 7.5 at LSU. I think LSU is going to go in there and play really well, and, I think, and, and it's going to be a lot worse than 7.5 points. And I'm going to lay Missouri in the 14.5 points. I'll give that, that, them to Idaho. All right, it's time to wrap up. As always, we appreciate you stopping by every week. For First and Ten, the podcast, had a great time with my friend Dennis Dodd at cbssports.com. Go read his stuff. As always, like the podcast on the Saturday Down South Podcast Network. Like it. Favorite it. Write nice comments about it. Have a great time this weekend at your game. We will see you next week.